Listening to Radar Peak, a three-body podcast reviewing our way through the three-body problem and discussing its real-life parallels. I'm Allie. I'm Brett, and on today's episode, we have an update about that government UFO logo. We'll unpack the phenomenon known as entropy, and Wang Miao finally meets Ye Wenji as we discuss Chapter Eight of the Three-Body Problem. Stay tuned. Energy unit reporting. All systems go. Cutting unit reporting. All systems go. Amplifier unit reporting. broadcast for a very special emergency announcement. Oh? The U.S. Office of the Special Intelligence Forces have rescinded the spaceship in their logo. I repeat, they have rescinded the spacecraft in their logo. Wait, the Director of National Intelligence, the one we talked about last week? The one you told me about, that you showed me, and I was like, this is fucking crazy. This is an official logo of the U.S. government? Wait, so now it's gone? Can you please tell me everything you know? It's under the U.S. Office of the Director of National Intelligence, and specifically it's on the website of the national intelligence manager for aviation so the guy who's in charge of like everything that flies everything that flies they had updated the logo on their website that brett showed me last week it had remember i described it it had the the paper airplane the paper airplane the regular plane and then the flying saucer and this week one of, you know, the official spokesperson or whoever for that agency said, oh, we didn't mean to put that logo out. That was a draft. Excuse me? And they removed the flying saucer. Nothing else, right? Like, it's still the same logo. Yeah, it's the same logo, just literally minus the flying saucer in the bottom corner. And it's just like, what? So wait, they put this thing out in error, but it was only a draft to begin with? How do you make that mistake? Like what, you you don't know how to use Squarespace and you accidentally press publish instead of save? It's like the equivalent <laughs> of like posting close friends to your main story. Like what's yeah. happening? I love the idea of like government official using Squarespace. <laughs> to update an official.gov website, which, but I mean, I guess maybe. Then I also wonder, like, who was responsible for making this logo in the first place? Like, was this some intern doing the equivalent of, like, a shit post right. to see if they could get it in the news? I mean, it is great publicity. We are talking about it. But what does the government need publicity for? I mean, they have direct lines to any news outlet they want. That's too weird, dude. The most suspicious. It is so fucking bizarre to just be like, oop what it feels very like magician sleight of hand like look at what i'm doing with my left hand but i want you to ignore what's happening with my right hand it's just like how do you go from being like yeah we're gonna have a spaceship in it wasn't april fool's day it wasn't halloween it It was just the middle of the fucking week it was the middle of the fucking week and then they're like actually never mind that's suspicious i'm very very confused by it but i mean i guess that's as much as we know right there's no answers well i mean their word is the final answer so it's not like we're gonna get anything else out of do them. you have a theory though i mean several it's like i mean maybe on the one hand they're trying to eat because you know we i think we kind of touched on this in weeks past but like whenever disclosure happens it's not like they're gonna run that cold on the front page of the failing new york times you know they're gonna like work it into the sort of like collective consciousness because i mean you think about it we've gone the entire history of human existence sort of thinking that like oh maybe intelligent life might be outside the planet somewhere but never confirmed so it's like they're not just gonna drop that in our laps i mean half the country can't even accept that donald trump lost the last election you think they're just gonna admit that aliens now exist right right it it does feel like it's been this gradual i mean it's never gonna feel gradual you know what I mean? Yeah, I just th- I think it's more important that the government, like, whenever we get to the point where disclosure happens, I think it's more important that people are sort of, like, in the back of their mind, at least, like, kind of prepared I for it. I think that might be the bipartisan issue that we all agree on. Kind of like marijuana. Like, whether you are left or right, you believe 
that aliens exist. Or you at least want to. Yeah. And like you're not trying to have that shielded from you. Yeah. I I think. I mean, let us know. Are you someone? Tweet at us, Radar Peak Pod. Whether you have intelligence or a lack thereof, we want to hear from you. <laughs> I'll give you multiple choice. What okay. do you want to talk about next? Ooh, okay. Blood masks, CERN, ICBMs. Oh, God. Or me not smoking weed. <laughs> mm, okay, well, obviously. Let's start with you not smoking weed. It's been three weeks. Oh, wow. Which is like a century. Have you been having like really vivid dreams? Everyone asks that. In the meantime? I always have vivid dreams. Oh, lucky. See, when I, I mean, I... I stopped in the beginning of this year because I had got a sinus infection. So it just uh, made smoking no way. so uncomfortable. So I was like, I may as well just... You didn't mention that last week when we were Benadryl. talking sinus infections. Drug-induced sinus infections. I don't know that it was drug-induced. Well, what do you call weed? Well, no, I'm saying I don't think Medicine? that... Medicine? No, no, I didn't, get, I didn't get the sinus infection from weed. I just oh. I got a sinus infection and smoking weed always makes me stuffy and I was already stuffy. Got it. So I was just like, why am I doing this? I'm not even getting to enjoy like the benefits of feeling like I've had weed. And just like that, you were and off And within of it. a week, my dreams were like I had dropped acid or something. Mm, yeah, and I before don't... that, I don't think I dreamt for like several years. Mm, yeah, they that say. That I could remember anyway. I don't know what the science behind that is, but it's common. But I always dream, no matter Lucky. how much pot I'm doing. But yeah, I haven't smoked weed in three weeks. And and there's only been a couple moments where I'm like, I'd really like to smoke weed right now. Yeah. One moment was I was with my friend. It was like a Friday fucking night. And like we were just chilling at my house, like doing like girl shit. And I was like, you know, it'd be great smoking weed. I had weed. I had my rolling papers. I had everything I needed to, to smoke. She was like, don't. I was like, yeah don't i already hadn't smoked weed in like a week i literally just kept forgetting to smoke weed oh. i was such a i'm such a stoner that i will forget <laughs> to get high it's like i'll be it'll be four o'clock i'll be like oh you know what i've done all my work for today now's a perfect moment to smoke weed oh you know what first i'm gonna go fill up my water with ice and and, and i go downstairs fill up my water with ice totally forget to smoke weed next thing i know it's 10 p.m i'm like i guess i'm not smoking weed today yeah because ne- then it's bedtime it's bedtime. What yeah. do we smoke weed? It's not. I'm not in eighth grade. I'm not gonna smoke weed right before bed. I don't yeah. need that. <laughs> I sleep just fine without it. Um, it's more like a way to like have a new sort of experience in my day of yeah, like nice. a new type of morning. You know, it's like you're. It's like I have my sober morning from at eight a.m. Mm-hmm. and then I have my stoned morning at five p.m. So I just keep forgetting to smoke weed, and next thing I know, a week has gone by. It's Friday. My friend and I were were girling it up, and she doesn't really smoke weed. And so you know how people who don't smoke weed sometimes like don't want you to smoke weed. Right, yeah. And I was like, yeah. And she's like, well, like, what would it be like if you like didn't? Like, what if you just like moved through this discomfort? And I was like, could you hear my eyes rolling? <laughs> I was like, I guess that's a fun experiment. And I did. I was like, all right. Um, yeah. I almost did it to prove to her that I don't need to smoke weed. Because I feel like she was giving me this, you like... You got to prove anything to anybody, <laughs> baby. I felt like the vibe was like, maybe you don't need it. Like, just kind of, like, testing to see, like, am I an alcoholic about weed? <laughs> but also, know? I feel like that's part of a lot of people's huge misconception about weed in the first place is that it's somehow like habit forming yeah which like it's not like i guess you could say it's habit forming but like so is brushing your teeth and eating breakfast like maybe habit forming in that like we integrated into sort of like rituals of our behavior of the day but not like habit forming in like I'm not going to be functioning if I can't have this. Yeah, it's not like I'm going to go through withdrawal. I mean, and I don't want to say that it's not an addiction because I guess, you know, there are marijuana anonymous programs and some people do identify as marijuana addicts. I personally don't. It's not a chemical dependency on THC. It's a flower for crying out loud. Exactly. It's like smoking fucking lavender. Which is so nice, actually. Yeah, very nice. A little lavender laced weed. I won't be mad at that. But yeah, so I didn't smoke weed and... Then next thing I know, two weeks has gone by. And now it's been about, I think it'll be three weeks since I smoked weed on Sunday. A little weed-free time traveler. Yeah, but you know, today I really did want to, I wanted to smoke weed. Because I was writing about uh, this character was smoking weed. Uh-huh. And I was like, I need, I like, I couldn't describe it. 
I was like, you know, it would really fucking help if I Having just smoked weed. weed. But then I was like, no, you can't. Come on. So I didn't. I'm and proud of you. Here we are. Thank you. Um, ICBMs. I okay. Didn't you man? You you texted me something this week. Yeah. So I mean, it's I mean, it's because of sort of everything that's going on on the global stage with regard to Russia, Ukraine, the U.S. and Russia have been having some really serious sort of secure line conversations over really? the past week. Really? I don't know if I don't know if the intelligence community had credible evidence that it was being considered or if they were just sort of being like, hey, you better fucking not. But the U.S. basically said to Russia, like, don't even think about using nuclear weapons in your war against Ukraine or like ultimately it'll be catastrophic for you. Mm. And that's what they were saying publicly. So like, who knows how scary that phone call got and who on that secure line. was like personally having this conversation? It's probably somebody from maybe a concerted effort between like members of the intelligence community from DOD, you right. know, people who were actually like diplomats, logistically sort of the ones responsible for sort of like military responses to things. Right. CIA type yeah. things. So that I'm just thinking like if, if it sounded that scary you know, what they're saying on like, you know, the morning shows, who knows what those phone calls sounded like. But then in response, yeah. they had to kind of like do a little bit of, you know, well, this has always been planned. And maybe it was, maybe it was just like really bad timing for everything that's happening on the world stage. But out of Vandenberg Air Force Base, the Department of Defense was testing the intercontinental ballistic missile capabilities system to make sure that those systems are ready, that they're accurate and, and able to intercept. Is Vandenberg, is, Vandenberg is the Air Force Base that's here in California. Oh, got it. We were testing. Yes. Being like, on, we're on high alert. We're ready. Holy shit. I cannot believe we're living this right it's now. It's insane to me. So the idea is like these ICBMs are being readied in the event that some sort of bomb That is they have sent. to intercept and some kind intercept. of nuclear-enabled bomb coming from Russia, North Korea. On the any, West Coast. Any, yeah, it's, it's the... Which has a notoriously like thinner defense system than the east coast not necessarily i mean like the the u.s has sort of silos that are all around secretly stowed everywhere between here and dc silos of icbms really that are literally in bunkers and they're like ready to go that like if you were on site i mean you couldn't get as close because it's all like protected land but like the barn would slide to the side and a missile would shoot out from the hole in the ground no underneath the pretend barn oh Shut the fuck up. Honey, the U.S. knows how to do theater. Wow. Say anything you want about the U.S. She knows how to do theater. Uh, and speaking of ICBMs, are those like nuclear warheads? They, not necessarily. An ICBM is just a rocket with the ability to go into the atmosphere. So you think about it. Distance between, we'll just use like Los Angeles and Hawaii as like an easy example. If you're getting on like a, a commercial flight leaving from Los Angeles, it's like five, five and a half hours mm -hmm. flying to Hawaii. Yeah. But if you're an ICBM, you don't fly straight over the ocean. You fly straight up into the atmosphere on a curve, uh -huh. hit a point that's the highest and then you come back down in a wide curve so that basically you go really far distances in much shorter amounts of time because you're able to reach the limits of the atmosphere oh. plus the earth is rotating so you're using all those things to your advantage to cover a really wide distance in a very short amount of time speaking of horrors what's this about a vampire facial oh my god so my friend, my Ukrainian roommate, was like, I was at this bar with my friend and her skin is so gorgeous. And I was like, how do you get your skin so good? Because my friend Tina does placenta masks. Okay. And her skin looks like a dolphin. So she does menstrual blood masks. She rubs her own... Self-sourced? Yes. Okay. And it's a thing, apparently. I think a lot of people on TikTok are doing it. Okay. I have not reached that level of TikTok yet. I'm still on... Silver lady on the beach singing. Taste the biscuit. Taste the goodness of the biscuit. <laughs> yeah, I'm still on CERN conspiracy theories and uh That's a fun TikTok. Brian Alvarez. Oh, we love Brian. Jordan, Jordan Brian Alvarez. Alvarez, yeah. Um but no, now I'm on blood mask tip and I'm like, should I rub my own menstrual blood on my face in the name of skincare and i looked up some you know i looked up 
the science behind it. That feels like something you would have to do and then write about if you worked at like BuzzFeed. Absolutely. I rubbed blood on my face for a week and here's what happened. Mm -hmm. You'd click, don't lie. And then it would be a really disappointing read because I feel like the conclusion would be, oh, my skin looked a little better, but like not worth the, no vale la pena. And that, but like I want it to work. I want it to be true. I love the, I love anything that just like, contributes to the like your body is self-sufficient narrative you know of like you actually the perfect skincare regimen already exists inside you but also i'm like i identify the line between that and like anti-vaxxers is probably very thin Mm, right well and then because like i mean this also really put me on this tip and i did learn this from an (laughs) anti-vaxxer But, like, she had just had a baby, and what I didn't know is, like, the breast milk, uh, when, like, the baby latches to your nipple, the baby's saliva communicates to your own system mm-hmm. and and allow, tells your system what it is, what vitamins the baby needs. So your breast milk formula will adjust oh, according wow. to, like, the enzymes in the baby's saliva. Oh, wow. Evolution is amazing. Isn't that incredible? So that's where I was, like, honestly, my own menstrual blood probably has so much fucking entropy and information in it you say a word that we're gonna spend a lot of time with today i know that's why i said it get ready guys every time you hear the word entropy drink unless you're driving (laughs) in which case and then in that case i hope it's a ginger turmeric shot that's right that's right but don't take too many of those either as we learned that'll burn a hole through your stomach lining the last thing i want to say let it cern let it cern gotta let it cern so brett did an amazing description that i still can't get over of what a you know large hadron collider looks like and and brett told us that the large hadron collider the particle collider in it's in geneva actually underneath underneath geneva it's this tunnel underneath geneva where they're literally smashing tiny particles into each other so they turned it on right for the first time back on july 4th literally 4th of july and they plan to run it for the next four years straight and i was like watching all these tiktok videos people talking about it and oh my god there's so many conspiracies and i just like there's a lot of people that think a portal to another dimension is is going to be opened and like that that's the goal and it's one not- that i saw today is that we we talked about it briefly where like when our science and science equipment makes upgrades and becomes more sophisticated we're able to observe more about our universe via like new particles that we didn't know exist or things like that but i saw one today that asked are these particles even of our universe or of our reality or are they coming in from other ones Mm. which i'm sure like you know astrophysicist neil degrasse tyson would all say no of course we're just observing things that we didn't have the capability to observe before but yeah i I did run across that today yeah well what's been your favorite conspiracy theory of cern specifically okay so there's two one they genuinely are trying to recreate the big bang and see like exactly as you said learn more about our universe by recreating the conditions that led to the big bang part of the reason why we I mean, even with James Webb Space Telescope, like the most powerful telescope that we've put into space so far, the only reason we can't actually see back to the Big Bang is because of that little thing called the cosmic microwave background radiation, which I described it as sort of like this like fluffy red sort of like web situation that's like in the furthest reaches of space in all direction that you look. But it's the reason we can't see the Big Bang. It's like a wall between the moment the Big Bang, initial moment of inflation happened and all of us it's like what separates so it's why in a laboratory setting scientists even need to use particle accelerators to recreate those situations because the cosmic microwave background is there we can't see it that's so crazy that like when you go out past the solar system past the galaxy past hundreds of galaxies of space so far out you will just hit a red wall a radiation spectrum that is just visually blocking any of our instruments so what what is beyond that right when you think about like what is containing the universe it's impossible to know which is why in a lab setting it needs to be simulated that is so crazy well the other conspiracy which is not even a conspiracy but i thought was really fucking funny is like on the day that they turned on the particle collider independence day independence day literally in america there were all these people videoing the sun being like 
look look at that nothing there's nothing there <laughs> but like people literally videoing the sun didn't we learn enough from former president trump staring at the solar eclipse with his bare eyes is a bad idea yeah so people just like funny ass shit like that i mean like they're not being ironic but like it's the funniest shit where they're just like i told you they turn on that collider in geneva now look at the sun and, and it's, it's literally like, just people that have never observed the sky before. yeah it's like it's doing weird shit it's, got it yeah that's plenty to chew on right i, just, I mean <sighs> guys may nuclear winter never come god i hope not i hope our biggest fear i mean speaking as an angelino I hope our biggest fear is just wildfires and the big one. Yeah, and the big one, right? The earthquake? And I'm not even like, it, it's going to be terrible. Oh, God. But I'm not even actually worried about the big one. Something about living in LA, it's just sort of like, the threat's so real, you just kind of forget about it. Yeah. Honestly, I think you said it. We deserve... The asteroid? Yes. <laughs> Speaking of that, NASA conducted our first planetary defense test oh, this yeah. past week. I saw that. It was actually kind of cute. Well, I mean, yeah, when you think about it, they flew this this satellite that's the size of like a vending machine into, into an asteroid. And an they're asteroid. just, you know, everybody in the control room is just like, this one's for the dinosaurs, you know, like, oh my it posed God. no threat to Earth. They were just like, we're curious. We want to see how much we can change the trajectory of an asteroid because, you know, the day might come where we have to when our lives depend on it it was a bummer it's uh, no sorry that the, that the dinosaurs died well because <laughs> i mean I'm, I'm i'm not so bummed about that because you know we're here it's a bummer just because like you said we deserve the asteroid so it's like that's not how we're gonna go out as a human race no. you know i would love for we'll that go to out be a, the way with a device of our own creation own creation of our own two hands yeah what is it Ho we'll be hoisted by our own tard petard petard i never get it right We're back. The three-body problem, chapter eight. Yay, Wenji. Oh, man. Wang takes off his V-suit, takes off his viewing helmet. He's just played the craziest fucking game of his fucking life. And he's sweating like a beast. As if he's, like, waking from a nightmare. He's like, oh, my God. You know? And he leaves the research center, and he just starts driving to yang dong's mother's house well, about time about time dr ding told him to go a couple dozen pages ago more than once <laughs> right he's got that morse code printed out for so long i keep thinking about that that he printed out that sheet of morse code hasn't used it it's just like in his back pocket i guess he needs to find a place that's right and so he's driving and he keeps thinking like new intrusive thought he keeps thinking over and over again chaotic era And I love, I mean, after I read that chapter, I also had that intrusive thought, chaotic era. Like, it, it really stuck with me. And... It might be a little more unsettling than the intrusive thoughts of Shooter and Farmer. Right. Something about this game, even though, like, the characters are historical in nature, like, just something about it feels very, like, almost, like, uncanny in a way that's just sort of, like, unnerving, you know? Yeah. Yeah, well, and he even says that. He's like, there's something really weird about that game. Like, it, like he's like, why do I even care so much? And, and he's, he can't stop thinking about it. He's like, why would the path of the sun through the world of three body be irregular? I mean, whether, you know, whether your planet, you know, is on a, you know, perfect circular orbit or a, an elliptical orbit, you know, it's always going to be periodic. To have total irregularity makes no sense. It would be like, you know, like we know the Earth like has an orbit and that's why the sun rises in this pattern every yeah, It's like how day. we know a year is 365 and like about a quarter days. Right. But like for the Earth, like it just doesn't make sense for the orbit to be changing all the time. It's just physically impossible. We don't see that occurring in space anywhere. So he's just like so fucking confused. And he's like, but it's just a game. Like, why, why do I care? And, and he's like, but we lost the game. And, and, and that's kind of bothering him, too. Because like, yeah, I get it. I get it, Wang. Like, I hate losing games, too. I used to be a board flipper. I'm not anymore. I'll play to the end. I'll lose valiantly. It's very important to be a good loser. But... You destroy the land of Catan every time it's not going <laughs> in your favor. Uh, yeah, but that's actually my grain. least favorite quality. Yes. Yeah. No one will sell me ore. 
are. He fucking hated losing that game. And, you know, how did he lose that game? Well, the civilization died, you know. They were supposed to come up with a solution to predict the pattern of the sun, and they failed. And the whole civilization died, and game over. You're welcome to log on later. And he just can't stop thinking about this. Chaotic era, chaotic era. Oh, why can't I get this out of my head? And he remembers a class that he took in college on information theory. Oh, okay. Right? Don't you just, like, some college classes you'll never forget. Do you have any? Mm. You're like, no, I forgot all of them. No, actually, yeah, because there was Marketing this one. Marketing 101. I took a geology course once, partially because I needed an additional science credit that semester, but also because I was like, geology sounds fun. I've never studied geology. And I quickly learned it was one of the most pointless classes I think I've taken in my entire college career because I learned really quickly. I was one of about 500 students and it was sort of like, I guess, relatively the easiest class you could take. So it was mostly filled with the football players, Mm. the people who like, you know, needed a really good grade in a science course so that they could stay on the team. So affectionately, the course became known as Rocks for Jocks. I love that. Rocks for jobs. And we didn't really have the opportunity to learn very much for that reason. Also Fuck. because the class size was massive. It was a huge lecture. Damn. But was it, it was interesting material? Uh, it was great people it was watching. Rocks. <laughs> jocks. Dumb as rocks. Rocks for jocks. I love that. Yep. What about you? There's two. One of them was the ethnography of sound. Ooh. It was the fucking sickest class ever. Like, and each week was a different like sound phenomenon. So the first week was like called uh, chambers. Okay. So just like what chambers do to sound and all the different ways. Like, and your assignment each week was to come in with a recording of whatever chamber you recorded. I like. I really like classes that have sort of like abstract syllabi. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, he was so fucking cool. And then the next week it was like the uncanny. Like how abstract is that, right? Like being forced to think about, okay, what does the uncanny sound like? Yeah. Because the uncanny in and of itself is this abstract thing of like something familiar but unfamiliar. It's like unsettling because of how familiar and like kind of wrong. Right, like taken out of its normal environment Mm -hmm. somehow. Anyway, Wang remembers a class he took in college called information theory and the professor showed the class two pictures i love a professor who does this you know sets it up for the class he's got a question for you this is a sign of a good teacher we love a powerpoint exactly and he shows on his powerpoint two pictures one of them is a painting called along the river during the Qingming festival okay it was painted during the song dynasty so picture sort of like a panoramic painting all like pen and ink i would say okay on this like parchment this like very wide parchment and you see all of these like intricate roofs of houses and structures and you see all of these people crossing a bridge and selling their wares and people on a ship and just like a very busy tableau of the Qingming festival as it takes place across this bridge over a river with people standing on roofs and just like doing all sorts of things. Okay, I see it. So like a lot of information about like a very specific moment in time. Exactly. Now okay, I show it let to me you. see it. Would you say that was a good description? Wow, actually it's pretty even like the the composition is pretty close to and I really didn't see it before now like it's pretty close to what I was Imagine. imagining as you were talking about oh amazing what was what were different what was different for you mainly like the angle like i was viewing it from a different point inside this image mm-hmm. i was a little lower down maybe mm-hmm. i was like a person less of like this it's a little more bird the spectator like looking at all of it it's extremely detailed so you get the idea hopefully by now of what this drawing looks yeah. like or painting rather so that's one of the, the images in the powerpoint okay. The other one is a photograph of a blue sky on a sunny day. Just a little wisp of cloud. So are we doing like old versus new? Color versus black and white? No. His question is, which one has more information? 
Oh, see, I know where this is going. Okay, you do? Because I didn't. I was like, which one has more information? I mean, you can tell where he, like, I kind of was like, all right, it's got to be this guy because you know he's asking this because it's a trick question, right? right. Like, your professor's always starting class. They don't class. ask anything that's straightforward. No, but they want you to contemplate this question. So the correct answer is the photograph has yes. more information. This blue blank sky photograph has more information than this extremely detailed and intricate painting yes because and this is what the narrator says or this is what wang says and this is what the professor had said because its entropy exceeds the painting by one or two orders of magnitude so i mean that's a massive difference it's also a massive statement it was just and then he just like moves on but we're not gonna just move on we're gonna talk about this a little bit because yeah. it's not a we're not doing a long chapter today and it's like why not let's talk about fucking entropy how much of entropy do you remember from did you ever run across it in an, any of your studies high school college yes. so i had this amazing bio teacher who taught us it felt like everything. I feel You're like one he of the lucky ones. Physics. Yeah, and he was so hot. Uh, Dr. Trulio, my man, if you're listening to this, call me. Um, but Dr. Trulio, he, he was just a le- – I mean, he was Dr. Trulio. He had a doctorate in, I think, bio something. Work. And he's teaching high school, like, AP bio. But he was getting into, like – he was the one who taught us about the atom and, like, that electron – you know, that, that an atom is – 99% empty space. Yeah. And he was the one who taught us about entropy. And he basically was like, you know, you see that, like, this table in front of me. I remember him being like, you see this table in front of me? Like, because of entropy, 10,000, 100,000 years from now, like, it will be gone. Yeah. So my understanding of entropy was just like the inevitable dissension into disorder and chaos. So that was my sort of working definition when I read this of like, Mm -hmm. okay, so it's entropy, like it has more chaos than the painting. The photograph has more chaos than the photograph. Yeah. So a a quick little like aside to help our listeners maybe better understand it. Because I mean, if you're, I feel like it's one of those things that like maybe you've run across it as you, as you read or as you maybe watch like science fiction things or even like Cosmos, which is like just about science hosted by Neil deGrasse Tyson. Entropy is like famously one of these concepts in science that is notoriously hard to wrap your brain around because it's, it's something that I guarantee, you know, maybe you remember bits and pieces of it. Maybe you can't exactly say in a definition setting entropy is X, Y, Z, that sort of thing. But I guarantee that you interact with entropy every single day. And kind of like you said, in a nutshell, the most compact, smallest of a nutshell, entropy is disorder that exists in a system. So now I want you to think about over time, what happens when say you fill a glass with ice? It'll melt. Correct. The ice melts. Why does the ice melt? Um because ooh ah is it cuz of Just in the simplest think of oh, like Oh cuz it warms cuz it the the it gets warm. The ice gets warm and changing from a solid to a liquid. Yeah. Correct. What happens when you poke a hole into a pool float. Uh, the air comes out. It pops. And it and it deflates. deflates. Yeah, like one way or the other, it, it deflates. Yeah. What happens when you order your latte in the morning and you decide that you want to add whipped cream onto the latte? I have diarrhea. Well, <laughs> assuming you took your lactate. Your latte's hot. The whipped cream is cold. What happens to the whipped cream? It, like, it goes of. on with these big peaks and then by the time you take the lid off it melts yeah it's melted but why you may ask oh my god drop this knowledge on me so in the case of ice specifically since i feel like you know maybe not everybody gets whipped cream on their lattes and maybe not everybody's going around with like a jack the ripper complex and just popping pool floats right in the case of ice which is again in the most basic of terms water that's been frozen it's been locked in a state of order so in this case it's structural order by way of ice crystals so the bonds the chemical bonds of h2o arrange themselves into crystals Uh uh-huh 
which gives them more structure. Like right. a diamond is organized in a very strong chemical bond that like a diamond's not going to melt because it's such a strong right. crystal shape. Same for ice, just with less strength. Mm. When the ice is in an environment other than the freezer, the air around the ice warms the ice, thus changing the nature of the system. And when I say system here, I mean water as a solid versus water as a liquid. Oh my god. And the way that it does this is by heat transfer from the air so that, say, room temperature is 71, you know, whatever room temperature is, the air around the ice, which is obviously warmer and is carrying heat by yeah. way of energy mm-hmm. that energy is redistributed so that the frozen water over time reaches a point of equilibrium as a liquid mm-hmm. so it's gone from a highly ordered state as a crystal solid structure it's reached a point of equilibrium as a liquid where its entropy has increased in this case well like speaking of ice specifically or if you're talking about the pool float or if you're talking about the coffee with whipped cream in in any of those in the beginning as they are when we start the analogy it's in a highly ordered state such as air being trapped inside of a pool float right bound by these walls but the air doesn't want to be trapped inside walls it wants to spread out and be with all the other air it wants to be chaotic so basically entropy is exactly this it's <gasps> It's often affectionately known as time's arrow because whether or not you like it, entropy is always increasing. It's the inclination of all systems over time to move towards a state of equilibrium, which increases their disorder. And like we know energy is something that moves like when it's the ice melting. The only way that that ice melts is because the air, which is warmer, has a higher energetic level than the ice, which is frozen with a lower energetic level. Mm. And energy wants to be constantly dissipating so that it can reach equilibrium. So if you could shrink yourself to the quantum size and be in the air molecules around the ice, you could probably physically see the energy transfer happening, jumping between the molecules. Wow. The air molecules losing energy, becoming less excited. The ice molecules gaining energy, becoming more excited and changing phase and moving to a liquid. And because we know energy is something that moves, if it can move, it will, which is why entropy is always increasing. But what happens... I'm so sorry, but like, cue existential crisis. Like, what happens when energy runs out and all energetic motion stops? Then what? Scary truth time. Oh, wait, should I guess? Is there an answer? There is an answer. <laughs> okay, when all energy stops. Like, yeah, when all energy right, stops and all that. and all motion that's that is caused by energy transfer, what happens when all of that stops? I don't, I don't know, because the, the, there's also that thing of, like, energy cannot be created or destroyed, so you would think just, it, it can't stop. It's constantly converting, right? Constantly well, I, in motion. I didn't say that it's being destroyed. I just said... Runs out? When, it's, when it loses its ability to spread out any further. This is where it gets scary. Okay. Entropy applies to everything. Okay. My body is moving towards entropy, yours, our planet, the solar system, the sun, the universe. Everything is always Eventually. moving towards entropy. Glasses of ice, deflating tires, even the eventual heat death of the universe. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Fast forward billions of years. And, and it's like, that's right, what the Earth will, has been destroyed, all planets have been destroyed. And it will happen to the universe. Ella Alderson, who is um, a really gifted astrophysics writer and a student of astrophysics, says it perfectly on her website, which I'll tweet a link to so that if you want to read it in full, you can get more than just this tiny little pull quote. But even just this is like such a nice summary of what we're trying to talk about here in this moment. Yeah. She says, entropy in the universe continues to increase. He will continue to spread until the system has reached maximum equilibrium, meaning that everything in existence will degrade into soul particles and a swirl of radiation. So when your teacher said, fast forward fast enough and this table won't exist, ultimately that's what he means. Oh, fuck. Not just termites getting to the table right, and not eating just it erosion, away or not being just destroyed weathering. in a fire like actually over time it will all be broken down into its component atomic and subatomic and quantum parts and that's all that will remain of it holy and it's shit. coming for all of us <gasps> ah! 
it's like crazy that we are just this intermediate state of entropy like the fact that we are seemingly held together in these solid forms is ever slipping away if time moves in the direction that we understand it to move yeah because the nature of anything in existence whether or not it has consciousness is such that cosmically it will always move towards entropy that is so wild so okay bringing it back to the photo and the painting why do you feel or what do you think was meant by the professor when he said the photograph of the sky has more entropy by one or two degrees well i would say immediately because the painting was so highly detailed yeah and rendered by the artist yeah describe for me like what did the photograph look like blue sky a little wisp of cloud that one is obviously in higher entropy because if you look at i mean i suppose the tendency as most people would probably say like obviously this painting has more information look at it all these all these drawings are included all of this information about life is being depicted in in this scene that's before us but in actuality the entropy is the highest in the photo of the sky both physically because it's like it's just sky it's air that's been dissipated equally which is existing as an atmosphere but also information wise it contains information that you can't see right so that's what i was thinking without even this like more like in-depth understanding of entropy i was like all right well if entropy it I, i like looked up the definition of entropy and it said you know and it was pretty abstract once again i mean it said it's a hard it's a hard i mean there 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 are people that spend their entire careers in physics because also entropy like i mean like i said it it applies to everything it has applications in in biology in astrophysics in chemistry it literally throw a dart on the wall at any branch of science and entropy will have a role to play there there's something really romantic to me also about the word entropy Mm -hmm. and the concept you know, of just like, oh, honey, like we are all just collapsing into random Reason particles. for the divorce, not irreconcilable differences. No, no, no. Relational entropy. <laughs> I love that. We'll, we'll be making sweatshirts of that. Uh, Why do we break up? Entropy. All love will decay into entropy. All things will decay into entropy. Nothing it's, is it's, forever. It's except it's unnatural for things to be holding energy so closely that they have structure things by their nature want to be at equilibrium resting right which is like hard to get to it definitely takes time yeah so understanding entropy as like the degree of disorder and randomness in like a system i'm i was thinking you know the painting in so far as it like it, it has so much structure it has so much order it has so much intention i mean there are many levels of information to it of course like there's you know what you see drawn right like what it represents the period in time that it's referencing the artist's hand is implied like there are many levels of information in this painting but the photo of the sky is like you said disguising much more information because it is you know i mean there's one yes like the apparatus of the camera and that's a degree of information that also the painting has but then it's like oh no that this is also a photograph of space space full of atoms atoms full of protons protons full of neutrons neutrons full there's energy within it like it's literally a photo capture of of all that is from that point where the photo was taken right exactly of all that is of of the literal substrate of the universe yeah and the only thing hiding it is the fact that during the day you can't see the stars in the galaxy that otherwise would be visible in our sky which fun right. fact dr neil degrasse tyson was talking about this a few days ago if someone put you on the spot right now what would you say is the reason why during the daytime we can't see the stars and other galaxies i would just say like oh well because the sun is out you would be in the majority in that assumption because i mean we are about eight minutes 
away of light travel anyway from a massive ball of nuclear fusion that's just constantly operating at the center of our solar system that we call the sun heat energy and light but in actuality it's that our atmosphere which is made up of Oxygen. oxygen nitrogen carbon dioxide some methane ozone when it is hit by direct sunlight yeah. those light particles scatter and the atmosphere glows it's also why the sky is blue what? space is not blue space is a void right so the photograph contains just by the fact of standing on the ground and taking this photo of this little tiny patch of sky with Earth's atmosphere glowing, something that looks so simple and so even minimal in its presentation, right. just a photo of the sky, just by the fact that the atmosphere is glowing because of what it's made of, it's obfuscating so much information, exponentially more information that you're not even aware of because of the fact that it's like the cosmic microwave background in front of a thing obscuring it. But right. it's still there. Right. The professor did not ask, like, which one of these appears to have more information. Right. He asked, which one of these contains more information? As a statement of fact. And so the reason Wang Miao thinks of this class and thinks of this moment is because it reminds him of the three-body game. Because to Wang, the three-body video game was like the photograph of the sky in that its information content was hidden deep within this like very kind of simple game and like unlike your grand theft auto type games your red dead redemption uh -huh. all of these games that are doing everything and more to create the most detailed simulacrum of reality to the point where you know you feel like this is actually i'm walking around in real life like just shy of like uncanny valley territory it, exactly uh -huh. three body is like this extremely simple almost compressed world mm. Right? Like just this desolate plane, just this single pyramid, just these pendulums. Like it felt to him like this very compressed form of information, like mm -hmm. the blue sky. There's a lot that he felt he couldn't see, but that there was stuff there, right? In the background. It's like that's why threebody.net's hair is so big. It's full of secrets. Exactly. So, and, and yeah, and then, you know, another aspect of the game is the three stars flying and he's thinking about those and wondering what those meant because really there aren't a lot of components to this game right? It, right it's not like full of convenience stores and drive-by shootings it's pretty simple it's got stars in the sky it's got the sun it's got the pyramid can't figure it out people rehydrating why can't i figure yeah exactly by this point he arrives at his destination he of pulls over parks the car beep beep he is at Ye Wenji's house, Yang Dong's mother. And Ye Wenji is carrying some heavy grocery bags. And she's a woman in her 60s with gray hair. And he goes and like any good gentleman, he helps her with her groceries and carries them all the way up. And there are these neighbor kids running around that she's watching while their parents are working. And, and she's making dinner for them. She's just like a sweet old kind of nan. Literally, like she calls herself Nan Nan. She calls the kids like by their, these diminutives like Mimi and Dong Dong for her daughter and she's calling Wing Miao Xiao Wing which is like a diminutive as well. She's like a cute little That's precious. grandma. And she takes out the vegetables from her grocery bags and she soaks them in water and she's like, you gotta soak the vegetables for two hours. There's so much pesticides in the vegetables these days. You gotta soak them. And I was like, oh my god, pesticides. Like, she's still obviously on that tip ever since reading Heavily Silent Spring. Yeah, yeah, I love That was a reference that I didn't get the first time I read the book. Mm -hmm. She seems to know why Wang Miao's here. She kind of... Yeah, she's like, Yang Dong's room is over there. You know, like, and I kind of love that Xin Liu does not spend time having his characters negotiate for what they want. Right. You know, he just just like, she already knew what he was there for and she pointed him in the direction. One also, a mom always knows. You're right. A mother always knows. And so she's like, yeah, Yang Dong's room's right over there. You should go take a look. So Wang Miao makes his way into Yang Dong's room, which is full of dildos. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I just wanted to... Are you guys awake? Huh. It was not full of dildos, but wouldn't that have been crazy? What do you think it was full of? I mean, probably like work 
she left behind right like stacks of papers i guess boring shit no actually it's full of tree bark and even just piles of tree bark you like 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 pinned to the walls there's all these like strips of tree bark it smells like a forest come on aesthetic yeah i know i literally felt like i was I mentally was transported to the rainforest room at the New York Natural History Museum. Okay, work. Like, dark and, like, the sounds of, like, the rainforest. But this is actually not what it looks like. But I was picturing that. But, you know, she's got, like, strips of bark on the wall. Her desk is made up of three tree stumps. Okay. It looks like the hut of a ranger. Eco-conscious. Yeah. And kind of rough and careless. And he thinks to himself, she was a successful scientist. Like, she could have lived in luxury. You know, she had just moved into that apartment with Ding Yi. Before that, she was living here with her mom in this little bedroom. Like, yeah, like, what was she doing? Not, like, doing anything. Very weird. And he walks over to her desk and he sees this black and white photograph. And I'm thinking, obviously, about his photography. Mm-hmm. And the photograph is actually a little picture of Yang Dong and her mother, Ye Wenji, mm-hmm. smiling in front of a big parabolic antenna. Oh, we know where that is. We know where that is. And it looks very high wind. Yang Dong, her eyes look kind of frightened and and the wind is making their hair like kind of all tangled together and i could really see it and then he sees there's this little notebook and he picks it up and inside are all these drawings she made when she was three years old and they're very abstract scribbles like he says they looked more like they were born from a need to express something not so much like the desire to like render any sort of shape or thing like okay. trying to draw no just like pure fucking emotion through crayon come on yang dong the young expressionistic artist little pollock and yay when g comes in at that moment and she kind of sits down on the edge of yang dong's bed and her eyes are lost in thought and she kind of just starts talking she's like this is where Yang Dong ended her life. And Ye Wenji holds that little notebook to her chest and she says, you know, I wasn't very good at teaching Dong Dong age-appropriate stuff. I exposed her to very abstract, extreme topics from a young age, things that no child should know. And she says, you know, when Dong Dong first expressed interest in studying abstract theory, I said, it's not an easy field for a woman. And she said, you know, what about Madame Curie? She says, Madame Curie was never really accepted into her field either. I mean, her success. This is this is Yeh Wenji's justification. If you guys don't know, Madame Curie, she was a Nobel Prize winning physicist who... She won the Nobel Prize in physics and her work specifically was with x-rays and isotopes. And... You know, Ye Wenji is like, Madame Curie, pish posh. She was never really even accepted as a part of physics. I mean, her success was really seen as a matter of persistence. You know, basically, mm. the squeaky wheel gets the grease. But also, the yeah. sque- when the squeaky wheel is a woman, she gets replaced. Yeah. <laughs> and Madame Curie, like, got recognition, but mostly because she was just fucking persistent. Not because her discoveries were unique, but like... You know, she kind of believes Ye Wenji is like, you know, her discoveries would have been made by anybody. Oh, got it. So, yeah, just like the key driving factor is that like she was the one that was doing it, but she also was just not stopping. And like pushing and then like being like, look at me. I did this, you know? Yeah. Ye Wenji is not very impressed by Madame Curie. And and she kind of says like, listen, Chen Xiang Wu went even further than Madame Curie, but didn't get any fucking recognition because it's not a women's field. And if you don't know who Chen Sheng Wu is, you're not alone because Chen Sheng Wu did not get the recognition that she deserved. First of all, she was one of the only Chinese people to have allegedly worked on the Manhattan Project. Oh, wow. Yeah, working at Columbia University, helping them develop the process for separating uranium into U-235 and U-238 isotopes by gaseous diffusion. She also developed an improved Geiger counter for measuring nuclear radiation levels. She has this position at Columbia. She begins investigating beta decay, which occurs when the nucleus of one element changes into another element by introducing another proton. And she is the first person to confirm Enrico Fermi, who's a very famous physicist, Mm -hmm. 
theory of beta decay. Then in 1956, she's approached by these theoretical physicists, Tsung Dao Li and Chen Ning Yang, who knew about her expertise in beta decay, and they asked her to devise an experiment to prove their theory. Wu designs these experiments, and she's the first one to fucking do this. Amazing. And it results in Li and Yang receiving the 1957 Nobel Prize in Physics. Wu gets zero acknowledgement. So yeah, Ye Wenji is just like basically saying Yang Dong was brilliant, but it was not a woman's field and I was nervous about her going into it. She just had such a strange and brilliant beauty and when she learned a formula, you know, she'd say how elegant and how beautiful it was. You know, she really saw the beauty of physics, not just like the cleverness of a formula, but like the sort of elegance of physics as a whole, right? Almost like a synesthesia of sorts. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and if you think about it, it's like physics' whole goal kind of is like finding shapes and angles and and the math and the choreography of particles and being able to like deduce it into numerical representation. Mm -hmm. And that is like there's something so we, we really ascribe beauty to perfect systems just as nature doesn't like waste or excess neither do we and so anyways she really sees the the, the geometry the site the sacred geometry of of formulas and science even at that young of an age like clearly brilliant and she listened to Bach and she described things in such a right synesthetic way and Wang Miao says you know you were a great teacher to her and Ye is like no I failed all she had were these abstract theories. And when her theories collapsed, she had nothing to keep her living. Oh, so she really feels responsible. Yeah, she feels like she didn't teach her the most important lesson of all, which was like... The greatest thing you'll ever learn is just to love and be loved in return. <laughs> Pretty much. Like, that. it's not all about your theories. Like, even if your theories collapse, you know, there's still something to live for. And Wang says to Professor Ye, he's like, you know, no, like, you can't be so hard on her. Like, there are unprecedented challenges coming to dismantle the theories of physicists in ways that no one has ever expected. I mean, she's not the only one to find themselves on such dark, devastating path yeah, like, of discovery. There's actually a whole list. Yeah. And Ye Wenji's like, no, no. But Yang was a woman, and a woman ought to be like water, able to flow over and around anything. Yeah, which I kind of loved. She's like, listen, men may be rigid and men may kill themselves when their theories collapse, but women should be able to fucking roll with the punches. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting gendered opinion. I mean, you know, she's a woman of her time and I respect that. I respect Ye Wenji's perspective. Just in the way, like, I respect my grandma's perspective, wrong as it may be. Yeah. <laughs> Just before Wing is about to leave, he remembers cosmic microwave background that morse code sheet i fucking printed out and i've been carrying in my pocket for two days he says like do you know where i can observe the cosmic microwave background she's like oh you know what yeah there's a couple places but uh you, there's a place not too far from here and i have a former student who works there i'll call him up she calls him right up talks to him all goes smoothly he works at this radio astronomy observatory in the suburbs of beijing you're all set i made the call mentioned my name you should have no problems i'll open the door for you well, that was easy yeah very easy she's well connected and finally like, finally he's gonna go observe the cosmic microwave background and uh yeah he's she's like his name's Shah Rushan. he'll be working the night shift but wait this it's not your field of research, is it, Wang? From what I remember, you work in... And oh, he's God, like, is she about to ask about his work? Everybody's <laughs> like, what are you working on? What are you on? working He's like, yeah, yeah, no, I, I work I work in nanotech. This is for something else. This is a hobby. He doesn't explain. And she says, Wang Miao, you look a little pale. Because remember, he's going to observe the cosmic microwave background because these numbers have been following him until he turned off the machine at his nanotech job so she's like yeah you look a little pale it's also probably kind of a lot for him to be in that space also because i mean they've they've shared this moment like in her bedroom where like she's grieving her late daughter he's grieving for her but like you know they both love her maybe wang more so is mourning that he loved the idea of her because he didn't really really know her right so i mean imagine it's pretty hard for him to be there in the first place for sure it's very strange like a good grandma like a good grandma ginseng is there she gives him some ginseng like a sweet little grandma 
And that's it. And he feels really cared for and his eyes moisten and his heart warms. Feels like really just held by this moment because he's been so stressed the last few days and he just says, you know, feels like he's lying on a bed of feathers for a moment. And he promises Ye Wenji that he will come visit again. Oh, he made a friend. He made a friend. And that's the end of the chapter. I did want to talk about. <laughs> oh boy. There were so many moments where I was like, should I go into it? This just really, because I was doing this deep dive on Chen Xiang Wu, the mm-hmm. Chinese American physicist who worked on the Manhattan Project, and because, you know, we were talking about entropy and you're talking about how like energy is constantly trying to like reach this state of equilibrium i did a lot of reading about the atomic bomb oh boy (laughs) and look it is not irrelevant to everything we have talked about today i mean with the icbm yeah there's so much and i'm not going to talk a lot about it at all but i just want to talk a little bit because even uranium has fascinated me yeah You know, radioactivity is so interesting. And I was just like, I just want to know a little bit more. And so here are just some things that I'm going to share with you. I'm ready. My thinking cap is on. So did you know that 99% of uranium found in nature is U-238, which is an isotope? Uh And if you guys don't know what an isotope is, it's when there's a different number of neutrons than there are protons. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, you would think like, oh, the most commonly found form of any element would be the one that's like super even, right? Like, a, but it's not true. The most common form because of Because what we know about entropy, it's just a statistics game. It's more likely that something will be disordered than ordered because so things crazy. want to be not tightly bound in, you know, highly ordered systems so 99 percent of uranium is u-238 which has 92 protons 92 protons makes it uranium Uh but it has 146 neutrons so it's the most common arrangement and i like to think of it as a wedding okay okay this is my big analogy my big crazy unhinged analogy for how i will explain radioactivity in uranium at least So when uranium has a wedding, it always invites 92 family members. It wouldn't be a uranium wedding without those 92 family members. Yeah, you need them. Exactly. If it had 93 family members or 94 family members, God forbid, it would be a plutonium wedding. Yeah. But as long as there are 92 family members, a.k.a protons at this wedding it's a fucking uranium wedding okay and it's a nice day for a wedding all right so and and uranium usually 99 percent of the time invites 146 friends neutrons we love a big party right friends and family 146 friends 92 family members u-235 on the other hand means that there are three less friends at the wedding there are 143 friends and i know what you're thinking what's the big difference same wedding am i right no you're wrong wrong those three friends are so important to the stability of this wedding without them let me tell you it's like you didn't invite the party planner you didn't invite the officiant and you didn't invite your mother three very important Wild. parties yeah so when you don't invite those three friends and you're at a 235 wedding, uh-huh. people start thinking that they can invite plus ones. Which is never a good plan. Never a good plan. And these plus ones take the form of neutrons. And, okay. And they are these agents of chaos. And they show up at this wedding. They basically are party crashers. And they crash into the wedding and literally turn it into plutonium. And it's just like, it's exactly what you said about entropy. It's that, I mean, what you you really made me think of this when you were talking about the ice melting. It just reminded me that like, these aren't separate things. It's not difficult for one material to affect another material. Mm Because I used to think like, how do you really introduce neutrons to, like, how do you turn uranium into something radioactive? Right. Like, like, how do you turn U-238? Like, basically, it's like you either bring in fast-acting 
neutrons or slow moving neutrons. Different elements require different speeds of neutrons for their, you know, core to be changed, but U-238, you introduce some fast moving neutrons, it will begin what's called a chain reaction. So you introduce these fucking fast talking neutron party crashers to the wedding and it sets off this chain reaction. It starts a fight and that fight starts another fight and basically fights will continue to break out and can like basically the party will continue to split in half over and over and over again with more fights until all of its energy is finally lost. Radioactive decay is the spontaneous giving off of matter or energy to reach a more stable state. But the irony is like the stable state is actually that final state of matter that you described. Like what happens when all the energy is gone, right? When, yeah, when, when it's been dissipated and there's like no other energetic transfer that that can take place. Exactly. So for uranium-235, that amount of time that it takes for it to like to finally reach like nothing. So you've heard the term half-life. Yes. So half-life is... Not the video game. No, but it's such a great name. Yeah. The half-life of a radioactive element is the point at which 50% of that material remains. Like it has given off 50% of its energy. Okay. So 50% of the energy will be depleted in a U-235 chain reaction after 703.8 million years. And that's just the first 50%. That's just the first 50%. Holy approximately. Shit. And you know what I was wondering? Like, why don't they just do a whole life? Like, why do we measure half life? Like, why not just say a 1.4 billion year life? <laughs> I think because human brains are not built to understand large numbers. But I mean, some half lives are very short. Sure. Some more stable radioactive decays like can be a, f- a few seconds. Right. Um, and that is actually, I believe, why you know how all the there were like different bombs dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki oh my god and learning about that the fucking tragedy of all that is insane um but that's like the development of the h bomb cuz because because in fact like using just uranium 235 is is really not efficient yeah right right like it takes too long for that energy to be released so now we we use plutonium or whatever anyways that's all I really wanted to say. Wow. I was just really on a nuclear fission little rabbit hole last night. And I was like, how am I going to explain this in a way that is interesting? It's like having the red wedding over and over and <laughs> over, over and exactly. over. And just never ends. For 703 and a half million years, just screams. Catelyn Stark just dying over and over and over. Oh, Catelyn. Doing this research also made me think a lot about nuclear energy. And it's like, oh, I kind of get it now. Like once you realize, like obviously we need energy to fuel our world that we live in. And, you know, there's burning fossil fuels, there's burning coal, there's wind farms, but then there's nuclear energy. When you realize that when you fission an atom, that it will release energy. Yeah. Like that is literally what nuclear energy is. It's harnessing the energy of fissioning atoms. And I was just like, damn. And it's so crazy that like so much energy is contained in these tiny little bundles of subatomic. I mean, comes back to the entropy thing. Literally everything is entropy. Right. Like the reason that is true is because of entropy. Yeah. It wants to move into a state of of like non being more stable. Yeah. Or rather, when I say more stable, what I mean is more equally balanced. Yes. Anyways, we've honestly done our show. Shabbat Shalom, everybody. Happy New Year, by the way. Thank you. Happy New Year to all my Jews. Happy 5783 or whatever year it is. I mean, Allie, I know we've been sort of like edging this for a few weeks now, but next week we finally get to the moment where hopefully Wang understands exactly what Shen Yufei meant by, you want bigger? Fine. I'll make the entire universe flicker for you. But in the meantime, don't let the entropy become your sleep paralysis demon and keep you up. Don't let the entropy get you or disintegrate you or kick you on the way out.
You've been listening to Radar Peak, a three-body podcast. Subscribe and download on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify so you never miss an episode. And for exclusive content we might not have time for, subscribe to our Patreon. One last thing before you go. If you enjoyed today's episode, leave a review and tell your friends about us. Join in on the conversation when you follow us on Twitter at Radar Peak Pod. See you there.